Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. This is episode 46. I'm Pat Abendroth, should be Abendroth. I'm with Mike Grimes, should be Grimes. Should be. Somebody used to jokingly say Grimes. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Uh, I've, I remember I first met you and they called you Grimey. Isn't yep, that right? I've been called Grimey, and when I was growing up, it was Grimer. Ooh. I used to have a guitar strap. Uh, shout out to one of my friends, Phil, uh, a guitar strap that said Grimer on it. Phil from Iowa. Yeah, Phil from I, Iowa. I know Phil. Phil rides bicycles. Yes, he does. Uh-huh. Uh, I haven't seen him for a while, but yeah. I like Phil. Yeah. So Grimer. You can call me Grimer, okay. Grimy, 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 Gopher Guts, or... No, Stop. <laughs> so today on episode 46, it is a Pactum Responsum, so we have some great questions from you all. Speaking of you all, thank you for listening. Thank you for all of the five-star ratings. Yes. We are five-point Calvinists. We like five, five stars. Five stars, yep. Podcast experts, experts, hard to say, tell us that the more five stars we have, the more people listen, yeah, easier to they find us. find us easier. Yep. So keep up the good work, you yep. all out there. Yeah. Where else, Mike, where else can you tune into a podcast and in the same episode, hear things about Christmas, pumpkin spice, eschatology, covenant <laughs> theology, and who knows what else? All in one episode. All in one episode. The Pactum. I, probably nowhere else in the universe except in the Pactumverse. Can you hear all of this? And you're going to hear it today on episode 46. Yeah, we have episode 46 for you today. This is Pactum Responsum number five. We did Pactum Responsum four last week. Okay. And this is our fifth pot Pactum Responsum. And we're kind of rounding out the rest of the questions from last week. Oh, I am so committed to this episode because I'm so thankful for podcast listeners. Here's how committed I am to you. I have before me some coffee, some Pete's holiday blend, mm. and it's just... piping hot. So pardon me if I take a sip now and then, but not only that to balance it out for our (laughs) podcast listeners, I'm here for you. I have a grape zero calorie Zevia. That's hard to say as well. Grape zero calorie Zevia. Is that kind of like LaCroix? Basically it's yeah, pretend flavored water. But LaCroix has like no sweetener. Zevia actually is the sweetener I think that's in this. Gross. And it's not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I don't like about it, it, it's better out of a can because it's clear. And oh, when you pour yeah. it in a glass, something about that's it, I want, I want it to be purple. Yeah, yeah. I want artificial you coloring. Want that welches. It's going to make it better. Oh. So, uh-huh. And some of them have caffeine. And I know because I drank like four of them the other night Oops. and it happened to be caffeinated. <laughs> Woo! Couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep too good. Is that when you emailed me at two thirty? I have a problem with doing these kinds of things. So my my sleep is not real stable these days. So I uh, woke up this morning at two a.m. and uh, didn't need to be up till five a.m. So got a little nap in, ready to go on the Pactum, Pactum, Yikes. Pactum. Let's go, man. Yikes. We've got questions. We've got questions about eschatology. We've got lots of great questions for you today on the Pactum response. And let's get started with an anonymous question here. We have an anonymous question, and it says, which is worse? Which is worse? Which worse? I don't know. Did I, I? Who knows what I said? Which is worse? Antinomianism or neonomianism? I like that Ooh, question. We probably should define one. both of those first. So yeah. uh, namas is the word for law. So anti-law, antinomianism, uh-huh. neo, new, 
Neonomianism, which one is worse? Hmm. They're um, both bad. I, I'm totally with you, Mike. Yeah. They're both bad. So we don't want to be antinomian. We don't want to be neonomian. Right. We want to be, we want to be biblical because yeah. we're so biblical. <laughs> That's what we want to do. Now, it is fascinating that in the Bible, at least in Galatians, the people who are neonomian, mm. law plus faith equals justification, right. are under anathema. Yeah. And uh, even though the Apostle Paul is against antinomianism, like in Romans chapter 6, he doesn't pronounce it an anathema. Hmm. So I think both of them are bad. Yeah. And I think First John is against antinomianism. So I don't want to choose. It's a false choice. Yeah. But I, I do acknowledge the fact that, oh, I just read it today. First John 2 is so awesome. Hmm. It says, don't sin, basically. Right. But, 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 Christian, if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The righteous yeah. So First John helps us to curb our antinomianism. Yes, we don't want to be antinomian. We want to be pro-God's law. But we, in this world, we're not glorified. We don't believe in perfectionism, this side of glory. And it is so awesome and good to know that we do have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we can have assurance, even though we still struggle with sin. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to say about antinomianism or neonomianism? <clears throat> Don't do it. <laughs> do, right? <laughs> Don't do it. Yep, yep. All uh, right, well, let's move on. Oh, you got one more? One more would be, I do think we should be accused of being antinomian when mm. we're clear with the gospel. Sure, yeah. Because Paul anticipates the accusation in Romans 6. So I want people to say to me when they hear me talk about salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone, I want them to say something like, does this mean we can do whatever we want right, and yeah. behave badly? Yeah. And I'm going to say, nope. May it never be. doesn't mean that. One good resource that we've recommended in a different episode, we won't uh, go into all the details now, though, would be The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification by Walter Marshall. Uh, we would commend that book to you regarding these kinds of Issues. Yes. All right. Well, let's move on to a second question. And this one has a name attached to it. It's not an anonymous question. This is from Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> You've been waiting to do that all week, I, haven't I, you? I maybe have. I maybe have, or at least since this morning when I looked at these. Oh, man. Susan B. asks, is there a one-volume Bible commentary that you recommend? And if so, which one? I think the answer to that is no, probably not. <laughs> right. I'm, I know there are some out there. Maybe you have a good one you like, but I think the best one-volume commentary you can have in your household, if you're only, only going to have one, would be the Reformation Study Bible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not actually a commentary, but it's got great notes in it, mm -hmm. it and uh, I promote it all the time. Yeah, it has great articles at the end, too. It has the confessions in the end. Uh, a lot of great, helpful tools in that one. Yep, and if you open up the beginning, I think it's in the beginning. I don't have one in front of me, but it gives a list of all the contributors. And yeah. we here, here on the Pactum, we appreciate the Catholicity mm -hmm. of it. Uh, not Roman Catholic, not <laughs> Popish, uh, Pontifish, to make up a word, but we like the <laughs> Catholicity of it because there are a lot of different contributors from different places, experts in their field. And uh, the, the good folks over there at Ligonier Ministries <laughs> do a nice job of putting that together. It's a great resource. Yeah, they do. Well, let's move into a third question. And this third question is going to get a little bit more of a deeper dive than the first two questions. And this question comes to us from Roger B. And Roger says that he's just finished reading your dissertation, Pat. Ooh, we're going to send you a check. Yeah. <laughs> 
we're paying people to read that. So, uh, and he says he thinks he fits in that category of the misinformed as he's a recovering dispensationalist. Uh, he came from a dispensationalist seminary and he's on his path out of dispensationalism to a more reformed understanding. He says the 1689 confession, uh, and he's wondering, he has a few kind of questions here, um, with that in mind. And the first is, Oh, he tells us where he went to school, but we're not going to read that on here. Yeah. We'll just skip over. We don't want to unduly offend anyone. Right. So first question he asks, how does covenant theology relate to eschatology? Okay. Second, what are the top books you recommend to read on covenant theology? And finally, Pat, why don't you like pumpkin spice? I say we go in reverse order. I, I'm totally there. I, Pat, why, I do, why, don't you, why don't you like pumpkin spice? Okay, so the truth to be told, truth to be known, Roger, and Mike, and everyone listening— I've never tried it before. What? I'm just one of You've those. You've got to be kidding. I, I'm I'm like an atheist. Or, uh, no, an agnostic. Uh, or I'm just a hater wanting to do some hate. This is so disappointing. No, the real the real reason is because I might like it. What? Right. And, but if I like it, it just means more calories. Uh, and, you know, I'm on a diet. Listen, so if I'm grumpy, is, leave me alone. Listen, all, this is what I think about calories, whatever. <laughs> just have them. You need them eventually, right? It's true, but uh, weight doesn't go uphill as nicely you as know, it goes downhill. You know, I had no idea you'd never had one. And I was just thinking we need to do a taste test on here because we haven't for a while. I, if Let's they do it. only had it. Let's do it. I need to talk to some people who might have access. I so. think a peppermint mocha would taste good. Never had it. Don't, ha- don't ever plan on having one. All right, one. folks. Mike's, next packed Mike's over episode, here, we're doing some taste Mike's testing. Mike's over here pounding on the table I, in our space. Special, special studio. Yes, in somebody's basement. All right, so... We, we kind of change whose basement it is. Right. It's been my parents. It's been my mother-in-law's. Where are we who at should today? should it be now? Hmm. Hmm. In St. Somebody's Cathedral basement yeah, is probably we where we yep. should be now. Okay, getting back to Roger's question, because right. I appreciate the questions. Yeah. So pumpkin spice latte probably tastes delicious. Just haven't gone there. I like so pumpkin pie. Come I like on, pumpkin... This is disappointing. I don't... I like pumpkins... I like pumpkin seeds. What other food do we get from pumpkins? Uh, everything. <laughs> I like pumpkin decorating. Of course. Oh, All right. Boy. So how does covenant theology relate to eschatology? I think I know what Roger means, but I'm going to take it a little bit different direction first. Okay. And oftentimes when we think of eschatology, we think of end times views. We think of millennial views. We think of whether we're dispensational or not. Right. And what we need to probably do before we do that is think about what eschatology is first and foremost, especially uh, in conversations in Reformed theology. Mm. We're talking about the end. Uh, we're talking about the end of things. And if we're talking about the end in Reformed theology and covenant theology, we're talking about the end as it should have been from the beginning. Hmm. So I have a book in front of me by J.V. Fesco that's really hard to read, and the publisher doesn't get major um, kudos for the for, <laughs> say, for, for the design. It's the design, <laughs> design's not the best. Uh, no foul against you, John, but uh, it's called Last Things First, and then they reversed it like in a mirror, so it's really hard to read and kind of strange. Yeah. But it says Last Things First, unlocking Genesis one to three with Christ, with the Christ of eschatology. Hmm. So let's think of it in these terms. Uh, let's think of it in terms of from the very beginning in the garden, it wasn't supposed to stay like that, even if things would have gone well. Well, let's think about that. If things would have gone rightly, Mm -hmm. um, things would have, would have been different. They would have ended differently. Here's a great note by Michael Horton regarding this. He says, eschatology is prior to soteriology, Mm. things that make you go, 
Hmm. Hmm. Where's he going with this? Okay. He goes on to say creation began with a greater destiny lying before it. That's, that's something to think about and chew on. Uh, creation was the stage, the beautiful theater, he calls it for God's drama, not an end in itself. Hmm. So creation isn't an end, is not an end in itself. Then Mike sa- goes on to say, life in the garden was not intended to simply go on in perpetuity, but was merely the point of departure for the great march of creation behind God's vice regent into the everlasting life of God's own Sabbath rest. Mm. So Adam was to do this and live, right. not only for himself, but, but for his posterity, for those he represented as the federal head. And it, it didn't end well. As we know, it led to condemnation, but it should have led to justification. Mm. And so eschatology in that sense has been fulfilled in the last Adam in Christ, a la Romans chapter five. Um, he's secured justification for his people. So that's the kind of eschatology that is soteriological <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. So anyway, if you want to dig deep in that, I would read Fesco's book or maybe read a little bit more of Michael Horton. I was quoting from his book called The Christian Faith. So that probably wasn't what you meant, Roger. Right. I think we need to make eschatology great again. Yeah. In the justification sort of sense. Sure. Yeah. As in the last Adam, he secured it for us. Yeah. Is that okay, Mike? Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. Now, having said that. And say, what's he really want? Right. Having right? said that, I do think that covenant theology affects your end times views, your views of how the Bible's to be read and how things are going to play out. But first and foremost, we want to talk about in covenant theology, from my perspective, first and foremost, I want to argue for how you understand the gospel, how you understand soteriology. So let's talk about talk about the covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Yeah. And I think you could have any millennial view hmm. and affirm those things. Sure. So in the dissertation, I'm trying to persuade those of all different views, especially people who come from a background like me, they should affirm covenant theology and they don't have to give up their millennial view. Hmm. They don't even have to give up their dispensationalism, hmm. but they might. They might, yeah. They might, because when you start seeing that the focus in Scripture is Israel is an unfaithful son, yeah. and Jesus is the faithful son, yeah, yeah. oh, Israel anticipated uh, the one who would come and be faithful. Uh, we have types and shadows, not substance. Christ is the substance. Uh, it does end up tweaking. Tweaking? Can we say Tweaking. Tweaking, sure. Altering, changing, Altering. Um, yeah. messing with my end times views. Right. And it looks a lot like I don't need a future for national Israel because they were serving a purpose for a time. We're looking forward to the ultimate son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm thinking in particular Hosea 11.1, 1, Israel is the son called out of Egypt, but then it's applied in the New Testament to Ma- uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. It is none other than Jesus is the son, the mm-hmm. loyal son, the faithful son. And we don't need to go back to the old son. So there is that. I do think it will affect your eschatology in that sense. If you think in terms of Christ-centered, if you think in terms of types and shadows, I think you're, you're on, on your way to maybe having an altered state of theological consciousness <laughs> to make things up. Yeah. So getting to the second question that he asked as well, Roger asked, what are the top books you recommend to read on covenant theology with these things in mind? Uh, we would recommend Sacred Bond. We've mentioned that several times by Michael Brown and Zach Keel. Yep. Super easy to read. Yep. Kingdom Prologue. That's uh, Meredith Klein. Not so easy to read. Not so easy to but read. But important. 
Yeah. Yep. And then uh, we have justification and pastoral ministry. Actually, it's covenant justification I and pastoral that word. ministry. I missed that word. Yep. And that's the one that's put out by the seminary faculty at Westminster Seminary, yep. California. Yep. I, that book changed my life. Hmm. Um, just as far as thinking through some of the significant articles in there about justification and how important covenant, classic, traditional covenant theology is to the doctrine of sola fide, Changed my mind, cha- or changed my life, really helped clarify some things. Yeah. Uh, I think every, not everybody needs to read that book, but it is good to do a little bit deeper dive as the whole classic covenant theology would relate to the doctrine of justification. Hmm. Really, really important. Whole books have been written against it, hmm. and I've read those too, and they're not so good. <laughs> they're not so good. That's funny. So rounding out the list, we have Dennis Johnson's Hymn We Proclaim. Good book when it yeah. comes to preaching, preaching. guidance yep. and hermeneutics. Uh, also, Walking with Jesus Through His Word. Also, that is another Dennis Johnson book as well. Yep. And if you really want to up your game, you'll be like Mike Grimes, famous co-host on The Pactum, <laughs> and you'll have Turretin's three Turretin. volumes. Yeah. Turretin. It's sitting on my desk, and I've got the post-it note how far I make it. And, you know, every so often... You tackle a couple of questions. There you go. Let your brain explode and move on. Yep. I just try to say elenctic theology. Yeah. Elenctic is kind of I hard gave to up say. even trying to figure it out. I, I looked it up and it says refute. Refuting is elenctic. Because it's, ask, it's asking and answering questions, right? That's right. Yep. Okay. You're re, you're, you are refuting the bad side. Anyway, I liked it that when I Googled it, the picture that came up was Turretin. Turretin, yeah. That, yeah. That's cool. That's, that's it, some street cred right there. I thought there. at first it was eclectic theology. Well, there, prob- thought, well, there probably is some of that too. So, <laughs> But you don't need to go there. Sacred Bond, I think everybody should read. Yeah. And it will assist you in your thinking. Okay, yes, absolutely. let's move on to the next one, which is actually related. Yes. This one is from Brad Smith. What systematic theology do you use or recommend? I like Burkhoff a lot. I'm thankful I was taught to read, or I was told to read Burkhoff early on in seminary, and uh, it's quite helpful, mm-hmm. pretty traditional. Yep. Uh, I also like Michael Horton's book uh, on systematic theology. There's also a smaller version, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess we could go back to Turretin, Turretin if we yeah. wanted to. Yep. So uh, there are other good systematic theologies out there. I like Burkhoff for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish the formatting was a little bit nicer. Sure. You know, like Wayne Grudem's systematic theology has got awesome formatting. Sure, yeah. If And I, I think it's true that he actually, when he used to teach, used Burkhoff. I just wish he would have left Burkhoff alone <laughs> and uh, just reformatted it to make it look prettier. Mm-hmm. That would have been nice. Yeah. So we, we, we go for Louis, Louis Burkhoff. Yes, we do. Yep. We ready, for... ready to go to the next yeah, one? Yeah, let's go to the next question. Also, another question from Brad, and this is where we get to our Christmas question. Thoughts on the celebration of Christmas due to its questionable origins and lack of biblical support, considering that the Puritans even banned the celebration both in England and in America at some, at some point. What so is, is, this, is this where we're supposed to talk about Manchester Orchestra and their great Christmas album? Yeah. <laughs> Rumor has it that you got some pushback. I got I was a little pushback that. from Wilkin, one of our listeners, and, you know, hey. Hey, Wilkin, Wilkin, I just want you to know that my wife says, didn't we just listen to this song? <laughs> When we're listening to Manchester Orchestra, and I, say, I say, no, it's different, but they all sound the same. Right. To all the Pactum listeners who listen to Manchester Orchestra as a result of the Pactum response of number four, let me tell you, that's like a whole vibe mood type music is what I would call it. And Pat's all into that stuff. I can get behind it for a few songs, uh, but then after a while, yeah, it does start to wear on you. But oh. if you're in that vibe and mood, hey. Put it on. I'm always in that vibe and mood. I try to listen to it every day, multiple <laughs> times. So, oh man, 
So, thoughts on celebrating Christmas? Well, well, well. Well. What should we say about Christmas? I think we're not we're not politicians here on the pact, and we have strong convictions about things. But I, I do think it's an issue of conscience yeah. when it comes to 21st century modern America, where it is and what it's become. Yeah. I tell Christians, pray for wisdom, make a decision. We have members of our church here where we pastor who don't want anything to do with celebrating Christmas. Mm-hmm. And some of them listen to the pactum. We love you. <laughs> Glad for that. In all seriousness, yeah. I'm thankful they're mature about it. Yep. And there are others who are all in and uh, everything in between. So the Bible doesn't say specifically. We don't know the details on when Jesus was born. It probably wasn't December 25th, right? Uh, according to my humble estimation. Uh, we do know that some of the customs are inherited from paganism, I think. I'm convinced. Uh, but at the same time, what are we going to do with it? We're 21st century modern Americans. What do we do, Mike? Yeah, I think it's just a matter of conscience. You've got to, you know, think through the issues for yourself and your family and approach it as you would. Do you celebrate Christmas at your house? We do celebrate Christmas at our house. We celebrate it as well. Yep. I think giving gifts is a good idea. Yeah, it's fun. Receiving mm-hmm. gifts is a good idea. I love to right? receive gifts. Otherwise, we don't understand salvation. So right. send gifts yeah. we, so we can understand salvation better. Yep. There is that. <laughs> so in one sense, what we do, and I give this counsel to some people, in our in our home, we celebrate Christmas in a lot of ways like it's an American holiday. Yeah. So... It is Jesus is good. Jesus being born is good, but I almost try to keep them separate, maybe not entirely, not consistently. Mm. But we what we don't do is put Santa at the manger, yeah. kneeling down, yep. even though St. Nick's, he, he, his, every knee will bow, bow every time we'll confess. Yeah. But I almost try to keep them separate, and uh, that way it keeps things a little bit nicer, a little bit neater for me. As a church, it's a little complicated for me at least, because when people come to church twice a year, I don't want them to think that the Bible only talks about the right, yeah, <laughs> about two passages in the Bible. Yeah, so we try to get creative. Yeah, we do a Christmas Eve service. Yep, yep. but we realize that it's not like uh, a mass where you're required to go or you go to hell. Yeah, or maybe purgatory. Yeah, so it's not a sin if you don't come. Yep, even though we enjoy it, we enjoy the fellowship together. So I would try to just be balanced about it and uh, try to encourage maturity. I'm thankful that we have some of that maturity in the church where where we are. Yeah. And you know, I was just thinking as we're talking about Christmas and we've talked about pumpkin spice lattes, the great thing about peppermint mochas, Pat, is you can get them all year long. They're not just a Christmas drink. So you can enjoy the delights of the Christmas beverages all year long. Do Do they have one that's made with Zevia? Oh, probably. I don't. Probably doesn't. I don't know taste about very that. Good. I drink all the frou-frou stuff with the real sugar, so whatever. You know. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our next question. If we're, are we good with Christmas? We're How good. do you keep your supermodel figure drinking all these things? I think you have me confused for somebody else because <laughs> I don't have a supermodel figure. Whoo. Okay. Moving on to the next question. You heard it here on the Pactum. Elenctic. Uh, okay. Elenctic. <laughs> Next question is, I've had some, this also comes from Brad. Okay, we got to cut Brad off. Okay, this is it. Okay. I've, I've had some intense discussions. Let, let's make up a name. Okay. Um, uh, this comes from Darb. Darb. Right? I like it, Mr. Darb. This is Darb. It's Brad backward. Brad. <laughs> right? I didn't even get This is Darb Smith. Darb Smith. Okay, Darb. Darb asks, I've had some intense discussions with a brother about God's relationship to evil. 
This brother has had several friends commit suicide, and needless to say, he wrestles with the decree of God and his sovereignty over evil. I guess the question is, do you believe that God allows evil or that he ordains it, though is ultimately not responsible for evil? It's a great question. It is a great question, and it's uh, relevant and pertinent and heavy. Yeah. I would commend to you uh, a good confession, so um, whichever one you would subscribe to, yeah. I know that you do, but if I want to quote here from a confession, it talks uh, about God's decree, and other Christians who've gone before us have given some good thought to this, and it talks about second causes, and it does a good job maneuvering this whole matter of the God who, according to Ephesians one eleven, everything that happens comes to pass according to God's purposes. Mm. So he, all, all things, how does Ephesians 1.11 word it again, Mike? I can't remember. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Yeah. So let's make sure we step into that and affirm all things happen according to the, to the counsel of his will. So yeah. we're not going to back away from sovereignty. But at the, second at the same time, there are second causes, right. and that helps nuance things a little bit. It still leaves a bit of mystery in our mind as mm -hmm. to how it works, but God is good and God only does good, and yet God is sovereign and he's working with a fallen, sinful world, and nothing happens apart from God's ultimate purposes. Right. So, And it can be a little unsettling. Um, I want to leave room for mystery like we do in Reformed theology. Mm -hmm. uh, the confession goes on to say, the doctrine of the high mystery of predestination, I'm thankful for that wording, the doctrine of the high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care. Mm. And so I think as pastors, as Christians, we need to be careful with how we handle this yeah. and how we talk about it. But what we don't want to do is shy away from God's sovereignty in an effort to somehow make him more acceptable, sure, more manageable, yeah. and we, we end up weakening him and we can't take confidence uh, and trust in one who is a weak God. The confession goes on to say, abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel is what is to be found in the sovereignty of God and mm. in God's decree. So it's not meant to be harsh. It's not meant to be mean or used in an unwielding way, but it's meant to bring comfort uh, and consolation, even though there's definite mystery involved. Mm, yeah. It is probably a good time, I may have already mentioned it, but to reemphasize the fact that in Reformed theology, we do have a robust category for mystery. Yeah. So what we don't do is cop out and say, well, we don't know when there are things that we do know. We sure. do know God is sovereign, sure. yeah. and we do know there are no stray molecules. I think Sproul would say. Yeah. So God is in charge. God is sovereign. We are responsible. We can work on that and talk about it, but Eventually, we have to push the mystery button and say, I don't know exactly how all of this works. Yeah. I know God is good and he should be trusted and that he can be trusted. And then we move on from there. Yeah, I think the the mystery is has been super helpful to me, uh, even in the past several years, uh, to be able to understand that it's okay to push mm -hmm. that mystery button, Yep, as you just said. Super good. Yeah. Let's move on to another question. This question comes from Alex, and Alex is a Pactum Verse listener, he says, from Kansas City, and he wants to know, uh, he's been listening to some of the episodes with Matthew Barrett, uh, he's enjoyed the John Owen series, but he wants to ask specifically about um, thinking about the Trinity and simplicity. How does God's simplicity and the Pactum, Covenant of Redemption, how does that work together? 
Does yep. that work? How yep. does that work? So Alex asked the question because some folks who are not fans of the Pactum, the Pactum Salutis, uh, the Covenant of Redemption, right. something we're big fans of here on the Pactum. The Pactum likes the Pactum. Yep, the Pactum does So like some people have given pushback to the Pactum because of the simplicity of God and how can that be? Right. How can there be this intra- intra-Trinitarian uh, covenantal relationship when we have a God who is simple. Hmm. So what we would say, and I did notice uh, that Alex said he was going to talk to his pastors about it. Yeah, he did. And what we want to say, Alex, is we agree with your pastors. <laughs> we agree we with your pastors and however they counseled you, provided provided <laughs> they agree with Matthew Barrett. Yes. Because we actually agree with Matthew Barrett and think he rightly represents a good, reformed, classic kind of explanation of this. Mm-hmm. And so here we go. Simply Trinity. Some, however, object to the covenant re- covenant of redemption. An intra-Trinitarian covenant must involve multiple wills in the Godhead, some have said, which violates d- divine simplicity. And Barrett says, funny thing is, whenever the Reformed tradition, drawing on the great tradition, put forward the covenant of redemption, they never believed, I like that, they never believed it violated the one will or essence of the triune God. Why is that? Appropriations. And he goes on to talk about that, and he goes on to tap none other than our good friend, John Owen. John Owen. Yes. Johnny Owen is a friend of mine. <laughs> I just ordered a t-shirt that says that on it to give to a friend. So For real, that's awesome. Unfortunately, he listens to the Pactum, but I have many friends who listen to the Pactum, so he, <laughs> he, 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 my friend who's going to get the shirt doesn't know who, who it is. <laughs> Barrett goes on to say, to talk about this very matter that I think is helpful. He says, every work of redemption is simultaneously the single one work of the Trinity and yet may be appropriated Mm. in the way that is consistent with each person's eternal relation. Mm. So thick stuff, deep end of the pool kind of theology. Barrett actually goes on and on to explain how this can be, how God can be simple, uh, indivisible, not made up of parts, right, right. but at the same time, the covenant covenant of redemption can be true. So page 310, page 309, page 307. So we would just encourage you to look it up, and we are grateful that Pactum listeners are thinking deeply about how two things can be true right. at the same time. We're talking about God. Yeah, It's amazing that God has made these things known to us. Right, yeah. Uh, so... Anyway, we have Matthew Barrett on speed dial, but you're closer to him because you, you, yeah. you live in Kansas City. So just go to his house and start just, serenading him. Yeah. No, don't do that. Please, please, please don't <laughs> do that. Sing a Christmas carol and nope. he'll love it. Don't and then... <laughs> be that person. <laughs> don't do no, that. no, 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 no. Okay. So our next question comes from Paul A. And Paul, if I could just encourage you to write the kind things that you wrote here when you give us a five-star review. There you go. And maybe you already have, because it sounds like a great review. He says, I really enjoy the show, and especially the emphasis that covenant theology has been given through the year. Yeah. Nice. But I keep waiting to hear you make a distinction between Baptist and Westminster federalism. Mm. You don't need to put that in the yeah, review. you can leave that Just, just leave the good stuff in there. <laughs> um, he thought for sure it would come up when we were talking about Carl Truman and Owen and his views of covenant theology. It didn't. It didn't, no. No, and then he gets to the question for us. So then, do you affirm the new covenant is the covenant of grace, or are the biblical covenants all administrations of the covenant of grace? Said differently, why is the latter option wrong? Mm. With a smiley face. We notice the snark there, Paul. We appreciate a little bit of snark there. 
So now, if you're listening and you're not Paul uh, <laughs> and, and you're not acquainted with the issues, we're right. not going to get into all the details. But when, when we talk about the covenant of grace in classic traditional covenant theology, mm-hmm. we're talking about covenant of works, right? Do this and live. It's what Adam was required to do to, to lead the human race into righteousness uh, and into justification. Right. But instead, it led to condemnation because of disobedience, right? Yep. Covenant yep. of works. Yep. Covenant of grace uh, would typically, traditionally be when God saves throughout redemptive history, there's only one way he's ever saved, and it's only by his grace. Mm -hmm. And so after the fall, there's salvation that occurs only by grace, not by works. So covenant of grace, and then the third covenant in covenant, classic covenant theology, we talk about the covenant of redemption, we talk about the pactum. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Right. But there is a debate that goes on between the more classic traditional view uh, and those who subscribe to something called 1689 federalism, mm-hmm. which is not the same as saying you affirm the 1689 London Baptist Confession. It's more particular than that. And it is 1689 federalism. Mike, I'm pretty sure we have friends of the pactum yes. on both, both sides, sides of, of the divide. Yes, we do. Uh-huh. On both sides of that divide. And we are thankful for that. Right. I am going to let you down here, Paul, A, and say, I opt for the classic traditional view. Mm. So one covenant of grace, multiple administrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm going to go there. I'm going to side there. Uh, I've read 1689 Federalism. I have friends literally who are 1689 Federalists. I'm thankful for their contributions and things that they do. But at the end of the day, I'm not quite convinced. Mm. I'm going to go for the old school view. I'm going to go for what I think is the old school view. Mm. I realize I just may have triggered you. Um, But I'm going to go for the well-worn path. And uh, it might not be as safeguarded against infant baptism, mm. uh, but I'm pretty sure I can still be a credo Baptist and affirm the classic traditional one covenant of grace, multiple administrations, because I want to affirm things like the Abrahamic covenant sure. as a covenant of grace. Yeah. Yeah. So raging debate, let's not fight with each other more than we need to mm-hmm. uh, about these things, right. even though sometimes a good in-house battle is worth the time. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I'll say about that is I did appreciate the conversation, the discussion that was had about this issue uh, with our friends over at Two Age Sojourner. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about this, some of you don't, some of you do. Uh, but if you want to learn more about this, I appreciated the discussion that went on over there. So the podcast is Two Age Sojourner, and it's the December 8th, 2021 episode. It occurred not very uh, long ago, and I was... Theologically, my mind was stimulated. There you go. (laughs) We do have one final question for you, Pactum listeners. The one final question is from me to Mike Grimes. Uh Uh-oh. And it is, Mike, where did you purchase our intro and outro music? Because we're people love it. I, I think it's great. I, I salivate like Pavlov's dog every that was time. The, that was the whole goal behind that intro and outro music. Is where do you the buy Pavlov's? It? You can't uh, say what. It's original composition material uh, that I made up in my basement for real. Uh, Seriously, <laughs> yeah, in Bennington, Nebraska. In Bennington, Nebraska, in my basement. See, what happened was Pat said we need some intro music, and I said Stephen Curtis Chapman. I can call him. <laughs> Uh, and he said, no, nah, we're thinking more of, who was the band? Was it the Rolling Rolling uh, Rocks? Oh, stop. Rolling Rocks. No, Rolling Stones. It was Rolling was, Stones, Exile on Main Exile Street. Exile on Main Street. And you said, think in the style of that. So I listened to some cuts from that record, and I thought, 
Okay, uh, this is not very much in my style of Stephen Curtis, but I can try to figure this out. So I got the electric guitar out and started oh, nice. noodling around, and I layered some stuff up, and you there, we, ch- you, there it is. You channeled your inner Keith Richards. Uh, yeah, so that's it. Yeah. It, I, I like that. It's that's me in my basement is where that comes from. If you Google best Rolling Stones album, guess what album comes up? That's the one that's I think that one. comes up as the hit, Very, Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street. How would you classify that music as someone who doesn't um, imbibe uh, but as a trained musician, it's like almost this bluesy rock and roll thing. Oh yeah, got it's, a little country influence, got a yeah. little blues influence. It's yeah, I, I I dug it. All right, I just it's not something that was in my wheelhouse. So it was All a fun right. it was a fun experiment for me, a f- fun thing to do. And w- listen, what you hear is the full extent of that song. It literally is that many seconds long. So there's not like a full cut to download or even be had. You have the whole thing. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> There's awesome. not a long play version. All right. So with that said, Pat, I think we better end on that note. Oh, I see what you Ba-dum. did there, Mike Grimes. Well played. <laughs> well, we want to thank you all for joining us for this edition of The Pactum. We're thankful for all of you. Thank you for listening, sending in your questions. You five can, stars. Five star ratings. You can be in touch with us on Twitter, The Pactum, Instagram, The Pactum Theology. Send us questions. We'll be doing another Pactum Response episode at some point in the future. So we've used all of the questions we have. You can send in more questions. Connect at thepactum.org. We'll see you here next time on The Pactum. 